Good morning. When I was pastoring in Kansas City, there was a, a guy who was a part of our youth group, and he was, I think he was an all-state center in Missouri. He was a big dude. He was as tall as me, and yet, believe it or not, he was really big. And he would come, and he would sit over here on the front row, and one day he came up to me after church at the end of a sermon, and he asked me a question. He said, do you have to go to metaphor college to be a minister? And I think he's right, because we deal in faith uh, which has a somewhat, you know, mystical side to it. We deal with it with metaphors, comparisons, ways in which we can hold something quite spiritual in our hands, but we do it in such a pragmatic and practical kind of way. We've been singing and talking today some about journeying, about taking a journey. And that's the way the Bible records the faith, that it it seems to be one journey after another. Jesus himself, feeling a sense of calling, leaves Nazareth, where his home was and where he had work. And he goes on the road. Pretty soon he shows up in Cana and he's calling disciples together and they're walking from here to there. There are not many uh, uh, provisions for riding horses or camels or donkeys. He gets a donkey toward the end, but mostly it's walking around. From here to there to there to there, all over the Middle East. Really, it goes all the way over into Jordan and he climbs up and he's overlooking into parts of Lebanon and all the way down south into the desert. They're all over the place and this idea of a journey. One of the most durable metaphors in the scripture is is the idea of a journey. We envision life, we think about our lives as being on a journey. We're moving from place to place. We may not, we may not move an inch, but in our, our lives, our inner lives, we are on the go and we do journey. We've been doing Psalms the last uh, four weeks. This is the fifth week of Lent and we're doing Psalm 126 today. I want you to imagine that you are either the second or the third generation that's been living in exile that you've been living in a captivity and now the day is coming in which you will be turned loose and you begin to head home. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, that's that being set free idea. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed joy of it, the beauty of it. Our mouths were filled with laughter. Our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. And the Lord has done great things for us. And we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. That's the desert area. Almost totally without any plant life at all. It's rocks and sand and dry. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seeds to sow, 
will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. I don't know if you noticed at the very beginning that this psalm has a subtitle, A Song of Ascents, Ascending. This is a song to be sung as you're climbing. And there's a cluster of psalms in the book of Psalms. There are 15 of them in all. And they're marked by the same subtitle, A Song of Ascents. These are songs that are meant to be thought of, spoken, sung, as one is climbing on their destination. And there are various ways that this has meaning. The most likely and widely held theory about the subscription, superscription, is that ascents refers to the journeys made by the pilgrimage to the three annual festivals. There are three big uh, festivals in Jewish life, and people would be called to travel to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem sits up on the highland. Jerusalem sits up on the highest point. And everyone all around in the countryside, in order to travel to Jerusalem, they were climbing up. They were ascending. And pilgrims heading to these three festivals might recite these psalms, these 15 psalms on their journey to Jerusalem. Or imagine the scene similar to the one we recognize here in Jeff City. You've climbed the hills leading to Jerusalem as you rise to the crest of the last hill. Finally, the scene unfolds before you. Every week I get to see this. I drive into town from the west and come around a corner, and before I know it, before I'm really ready for it, there's the Capitol building. That's the way it was. The great city of Jerusalem, the ancient city of David, with the grandeur of the temple, white marble, up on top of the hill. The inside of the temple was 100 feet tall. You can imagine the size of that building sitting on top of the most prominent hill shining in the brilliant sunlight. The brighter the day, the brighter the temple would be. And it's not surprising that long after the temple had been destroyed, that it was turned to rubble, that it was pushed off the temple mount, off the, 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 the platform that it was on. The rabbis would claim whoever has not seen the temple has never seen a beautiful building in their life. Feel the lump in the throat as the weary pilgrims sigh with relief and maybe begin speaking the 122nd Psalm. I was glad when they said to me, let us go up to the house of the Lord. The joy that bubbles up in the traveler to finally get to the place and to finally see with their own eyes the temple. Some have associated the 15 steps that one must climb in order to reach the Temple Mount. While the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, the steps on the south end of the Temple Mount survive even today. They were not destroyed. You can go visit them. They are steps not like these, which are uniform, of a certain height and a certain length. They're not at all like these. It's as if the uh, city inspector took the week off that week because every step is different and unique. One step is wide, like maybe a step and a half. One step is short or brief. 
one step is high where you have to really think about it. Another step is really not so high at all, and they're all different. When the pilgrim comes up the steps, one must think about the steps in a way that mentally you don't think so much. Maybe you don't think at all climbing steps. You just put it on auto glide in one step after the another, and you cannot do that as you climb the Temple Mount steps. With each step, the, the worshiper might recite or perhaps sing a psalm of ascent. It, it calls for reflection. It calls for the one who's actually mounting the steps to pause and to reflect upon life and to reflect upon the step itself. It's, it's a, a spiritual way of doing things. And others have suggested that these are hymns composed by the Israelites after they were uh, returned from exile in Babylon. You know, here at First Baptist Church of Jeff City, we have a big past. We are 185 years old, and we have a long, significant history here along the banks of the Missouri River. We've been here for a while. We've seen this city grow up, and it's grown up around us. We've seen it all, and it would be easy to be so absorbed by our history that we overlook the present moment. In reality, this church is a church of anchors and sails that extend from our founding all the way to the present moment. Where we go in the future is yet to be determined. There's, there's a lot that we have to figure out, and maybe it's been this way every generation. Maybe every generation have had this kind of excitement to, to worry about and to think about and to labor so intensely about. We're making decisions that lead us to the future. Even today, we are making decisions about where we're headed, about what the direction is. We're making decisions that lead us to the future. They create the future. Remember the drawing that Anne made about, about the tree with the roots and the, the trunk itself, and then it goes out into a million different directions. And that's the future. We are at the trunk. We are at the point of making our decisions about the per current moment that will determine which way we go and what happens to us. Here's how we describe the community of faith, and I, we've got slides about this. The mission of FBCJC is to welcome warmly. You've seen this around all over the building. Secondly, we grow faithfully and serve generously. Third, we lead people into life-giving relationships with Christ and each other. These are not just nice posters that have been around. They're not, not that uh, positive thinking kind of thing that we're just trying to shape each other's thought, although we are. We're trying to think in terms of mission and vision. This church is made up of you and me. I'm a shirt tail member because I'm not actually a member, but I'm with you and I'm a part of you for this season in the church life. This church is made up of us. We meet at 301 Capitol, East Capitol Avenue. 
But we recognize this is just a building. In fact, the last building burned down and it helped teach that thought. Something could happen here. The church is us. It's not our building. The church goes wherever we go. So as we leave, sometimes I will say, as you go, in a prayer, a benediction, as you go, which is the implied meaning, where you go is where the church goes. The church goes wherever we go as an extension of our collective communal identity, this sense of who we are together. And this church is nothing if we don't live the life and carry the light. How we embody our identity as a church is crucial. There's not a backup plan, we would say, if we fail. The big truth this morning is that the church is in your hands and mine. Hold your hands out. You who are shy, hold your hands out. And you know what's in, the, in your hands. This church. This church is it. This is the big truth for this morning. The church is in your hands and mine. And what we do with it is amazing. Our ancestors, those who came before, and you can walk down this, this hallway and you can see the ministers, but there's pictures of the church. Our ancestors, the men and women who led this church, have handed it off to us as surely as you can imagine it. The ancients understood this because they received the church from their, their elders. And then they faithfully handed it off to the next generation who carry out this duty, and it is a duty, as our sacred act of worship and service. This is what we are about. Our three-line mission statement gives us a lot to think about. Maybe for today we could turn these statements into questions and see how, how they work, how they provoke us to think. Do we welcome warmly? That's what it says. The issue of hospitality is a modern theological and, and congregational conversation today. A lot of churches are talking about hospitality. The way that we greet everyone that we meet as though we are meeting Christ himself. That's a part of our theological understanding that when we greet one another in Christ, we greet one another as though the other is an embodiment of Christ. Do we exhibit a conditional welcome here? Well, sometimes on our not so good moments, we might say, where our reality doesn't match up with our mission. Do some people feel unwelcomed here would be the question. Do some people feel our judgment because we're very principled about some issue? And to be welcoming, we will need to widen our appreciation of those around us in order that we see them through the eyes of God's love. That is a predominant thought that overrides our correctness in any theological fine point. Do we greet one another warmly? Secondly, are we growing faithfully and serving generously? The life of Christ is being formed in us and is slowly being transformed from the inside out. That's the way it works. The incongruities of our faith when what we say is contradicted by what we do. When our walk is in contrast to our talk. 
we have growth, growth issues. We're demonstrating that we don't really know what we're doing. We don't really, uh, we have not really taken on the task of growing in Christ. At worst, we've stopped growing, and in some cases, we have regressed until we're more childlike than ever. One criterion we state is that our growth is understood by our service. Thirdly, the last one, are we leading people into life-giving relationships with Christ and with others? That's a big, big question. To be more specific, are you and I seeking to live out a life-giving relationship with those with whom we share life? It begins with our family, our friends, our fellow church members, all those that we come in contact with. It's not unfair to say that we are a church in transition. We are. We have big decisions to make. We are a community with one of everything. You look around this room and we've got left and we've got right and we've got short and we've got tall and you know, we've got those that have grown and matured and those that have not. We've got one of everything in this congregation. So how will we move forward in, with the width and the breadth of our diversity? Perhaps we can find a way to commit ourselves more than ever to the three demands of our mission statement. Let's use the mission statement as a map. Lay out the map in front of us and what does it look like? How does it shape and form the decisions that are ours to make? The big decisions that we have. How does the map lead us? And we can follow that and it will give us the wisdom of knowing how to move forward. We need one another and need to lean on one another for the days ahead. To do so would mean we come together rather than drawing fixed lines and boundaries. Uh, I've been here long enough where I hear some about the fixed boundaries and the lines that we've drawn. We need to be very careful about doing that because it might keep us from moving forward toward each other. That we would find one another and we would unify ourselves around the three mission statements. To do so would mean that we need to encourage one another as each of us is determined to live out our mission. One of the things that we've done during this season of Lent is we tried to match the poetry of the psalm with the poetry of something written in our time, some modern sense of poetry. I have a poem for us to bring this sermon to a con conclusion. It's by Barbara Crooker, and the title of it is, Sometimes I am startled out of myself. Like this morning, when the wild geese came squawking, flapping their rusty hinges, and something about their trek across the sky made me think about my life, the places of brokenness, the places of sorrow, the places where grief has strung me out to dry. And then the geese come calling, the leader falling back when tired, another taking her place. Hope is born on wings. Look at the trees. They turn to gold for a brief while, then lose it all each November. Through the cold months they stand, take the worst weather has to offer, and still they put out shy green leaves come April, come May. 
The geese glide over the cornfields, land on the pond with its sedges and reeds. You do not have to be wise. Even a goose knows how to find shelter, where the corn still lies in the stubble and dried stalks. All we do is pass through here the best way we can. They stitch up the sky, and it is whole again. Amen.